Hello, uh, everybody. Welcome to today's Trend Signal podcast. It is the 2nd of December 2019, um, and it's 12.30 on a Monday. So thanks very much for being online today, everybody that is tuning into the live session or live cast, that is. Uh, I'm joined as ever with uh, Jerry Miller. Say hello, Jerry. Uh, hello, afternoon. Welcome, everyone. <laughs> Um, so today, there's a few things we need to get through today. Um, my name is Adrian, by the way. I don't think I introduced myself. Um, we're going to be going through the usual stuff, a bit of a run through of what's been going on last week that's been impacting the foreign exchange index and commodity markets. We're going to take a look to the week ahead, a couple of major central banks coming up with their uh, interest rate uh, announcements and also a little something called non-farm payroll, which we're going to look at. And we're also going to drill down into a bit of the information from last week's poll. So in last week's session, we asked a question uh, about what's holding you back from getting started with trading or indeed being profitable uh, with trading. I'll actually probably post that poll again, ask you all in the live session today to answer that. And then we'll get into answering the most popular response uh, from that uh, poll there. So look, let's get into it, shall we? Uh, Jerry, we're uh, into the new month, the last month of the year. Um, how are we looking? Uh, yeah, start of the new month. Well, markets seem to be, uh, well, they were looking quite positive at one stage, but uh, uh, negative uh, over the last uh, sort of hour or two. So I'm yeah. not altogether sure what's causing that, but really last, I, I guess, you know, the markets have gone up and up and up and up. Um, most of it on the back of um, positive news out from uh, um, in the US. Uh, it was Thanksgiving week. It was a short week. We had Thursday off. We then had a half day Friday. I say we, they did. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. it affects our markets, of course. We know that. Uh, but markets last week actually were all right. Um, FTSE, you can sort of ignore-ish. Uh, FTSE, uh, the FTSE 100, anyway, uh, is more sort of international, and I think the recovery in sterling didn't really help the FTSE 100 because uh, a lot of stocks uh, do suffer, you know, when sterling is stronger uh, because of their overseas earnings. 250, though, that's the one we look at, uh, certainly here in the UK. It's UK PLC, so it's more UK focused, and that really did react quite positively, certainly mostly uh, on the back of uh, an improvement in the uh, Tories' poll rating. Uh, markets uh, prefer much prefer a Tory victory than a Labour one. Uh, but although that's sort of turned around a little bit over the weekend, I think, Adrian. Uh, yeah, in fact, we were just looking at um, sporting, uh, sporting Index. The seats uh, suggested for the Conservatives has fallen from about 345 to 350 to around sort of 337 to 343, something like that. So it's probably slid about what sort of seven or eight yeah, uh, or so over the weekend? It's still giving, uh, if you take the midpoint, 340, with the number of seats required to govern 320, so they'll they'll have a majority of uh, 40 on the back of that. But that's uh, quite a climb down from the sort of three, uh, as you said, three, sort of 348 or 346 mm -hmm. area. Uh, YouGov were predicting a 59-seat majority. I think it's A, that was over the top, and B, the part too early in the campaign. Still another 10 days to go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and certainly for now, it seems like the more sort of decisive, uh, more certain uh, victory as a majority, it seems to be better for the markets, doesn't it, really? Yeah, I think, I think unless something horrendous happens, it, it's pretty clear that uh, the Tories are ahead uh, and likely get to get a majority. And that's not something we were saying this at this stage uh, in the previous campaign in 2017 when uh, yeah. Theresa May uh, and her advisors managed to snatch... Uh, defeat from the jaws of victory. Well, it was interesting. I think the 
is it the uh, 2015, it was looking like Labour were ahead and then the Conservatives snatched it last yeah. minute. And then yeah. 2017, Conservatives were way ahead and then mm. the, the Labour came weighing back in at well, the end, that's right. Yeah, they, 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 Remarkable they, 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 they climbed throughout the campaign, actually, and it was when the dementia tax uh, uh, <laughs> hit, the, hit the headlines that... Uh, you could see more seats ebbing away. As, uh, but it's still the Tories. Theresa May might defend herself by saying she got the most votes of any Tory leader since 1980-odd, uh, but not enough. Do you think that it's... Do you think the markets want, or the stock market wants, a Conservative government, or do you think it just wants certainty? In other words, do you think that if it was Labour that were looking like they were going to get a majority, it would still be positive for the market because it's more certain that that's no, going to happen? No, definitely not. No. I know that's the case, I, but I, I just I, I think I wanted to ask the question. That, that a Labour government with the far left sort of agenda, I think... Well, let's face it, a 26% um, corporation tax yeah. policy is hardly going to be great for, uh, for stocks. Yeah, and they're going to be nationalising everything, handing 57 billion out here, there and everywhere to the to uh, uh, women pensioners, uh, they're nationalising rail, nationalising all the utilities. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. Uh, and and I, I just think there's too much thrown up in the air with a Labour victory. It would be uh, quite unsettling, <laughs> to say yeah. the least. Yeah, could be. OK, so what about, um, uh, did you refer to the Far East as well? Uh, yeah, well, the Far East, that was interesting last week, because if you recall last week, Congress passed a bill uh, that criticised uh, effectively Beijing uh, regarding Hong Kong, uh, and they've got a sort of favoured status, uh, nation status, as it were, so they get preferred trading rights with the US. And of course, what the US has said, well, if China doesn't abide by the terms of the uh, special administrative region and give them a, a little more autonomy, then uh, they might lose that. And um, it knocked Hong Kong, not China, really. Well, it was a big move on Friday, wasn't it? it? Sort of started the week Hong Kong pretty strongly, and then uh, yeah. yeah, it's taken a bit of a, it, it's, bit of a whacking it's, after yeah, that. It's really. struggling because of the pro democracy movement, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, currency markets pretty quiet though uh, right now. Oh, tight, tight ranges, really. Oh, yeah, horrendous. I say horrendous. Listen, we, it, it, we've used this analogy before. You buy a you buy a sailing boat, and if the wind doesn't blow, you don't blame the person that sold you the sailing boat. We can't do anything about it. We can only trade what's in front of us. But it is interesting to note that the volatility, uh, there was an article in the FT last week that was talking about a, a particular five-day period and the run-up to that article, so early on last week, had a volatility of something like 0.38% movement from high to low, which is very, very low. Yeah. Good news is normally these periods of low volatility where the market gets a little bit complacent, not just in equities, but in foreign exchange as well, where everyone's a bit comfortable, they take their eye off the board and whack, suddenly you get a global macro event and everything starts to fly. Or even if it's in a tight range, a lot of people start using the sort of very tight sort of support and resistance levels, and then eventually it's going to break, and it usually then breaks big because stop losses trigger on, it just generates yeah. excess momentum, and on and on it goes. And, so, and people are sort of too focused on too much of the detail, and you need to step back a little bit sometimes. I, I think ultimately we've just got to be a little bit careful about being lulled into this being the norm. No, it's it's quiet, norm. and at some point That's we are going to get a big explosion of volatility. No, no, definitely not the norm. <laughs> Absolutely not the norm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so trade war? What's the sort of progress on that? Is that still well? It all of... seems still quite positive. Although the news last week was a bit sort of uh, unnerving for the markets, and it seemed to 
perhaps hit more the Far East markets, Hang Seng and the um, Chinese markets rather than the um, big Western markets. Mm. And there's sort of noise that perhaps Beijing may take some sort of action in because Trump signed off that bill. But I think it's a storm in a teacup. Uh, but the fact of the matter is uh, they're close to agreeing, um, getting progress, signing off on stage one, stage two of this trade agreement. Uh, and Trump wants a victory. He'd love to get something by the year end, I reckon. Yeah. And then it'll turn to the Eurozone, perhaps. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe not next year. Well, no, it's, it, but it's interesting. You're right. You know, the you look at what's happened with Germany. Germany is, you know, if not in a recession, close to it. Yeah. Uh, and that's all down to the US-China trade war. They've, they've really lost out big time with all the heavy industry and, um, you know, autos, auto exports to the Far East just has fallen off the edge of a cliff. Mm. And if the resolution of the US-China trade war is such that then it results in Trump turning his focus on the European car industry, unfortunately, it's not going to help Germany much. Yeah, well, quite. Um, interesting. So last week, of course, uh, Thanksgiving in the States, um, followed by Black Friday. I hadn't really sort of put these together, really, that having Black Friday is the big sale day after Thanksgiving. It's very much like Christmas and then the Boxing Day sales. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's, it's it's kind of the US version of that. But of course, we've kind of taken on this whole Black Friday thing, which has really watered down the, the sort of the Boxing Day sales as was. Well, uh, yeah, in the old days, you and I, well, certainly I am a bit older than you. Um, you know, you people would take, you know, make a lot of effort to go to the Boxing Day sales in the West End or wherever. That's not happening anymore. You have pre-Christmas sales. So now you've got this sort of Black Friday Every week. day is a sale. I mean, everyone says, well, what, what, why, are the retailers, why are the retail uh, market, why are we looking at sales at this time of the year? It's not us. It's the retailers taking advantage of something. They imported Black Friday here. No one, not half the public don't even know what it means. But it's a Black Friday week, and it will carry on, carries on this week. You've got Cyber Monday, and people are there going to promote deals. It's one long promotion. It's quite interesting in terms of consumer sentiment. We've talked about that lately. We've got Michigan sentiment out on Friday this week, which is usually quite an interesting number. But yeah, sort of, you know, the the, the sales uh, for um, Amazon uh, over the weekend were what up forty nine percent. I know. I just I couldn't believe from that last number. year. Yeah, there was a company called well, there is a company called Edison Trends that tracks all this stuff in the US, and uh, there's actually an article that I saw and you probably saw on the FT. Uh, and they uh, say that Amazon sales uh, over this Thanksgiving and Black Friday period, so that includes last Thursday, Friday, the shops were open Thursday, by the way, uh, mm. Friday, and then obviously the weekend. Obviously, they can't take into account uh, today yet, but uh, up to uh, Sunday, uh, staggering 49% increase in sales compared to uh, last year, which is off the Richter scale. That really is. Uh, as they march to world domination. Do you know, I, I only saw a, very, a brief snippet of the, a video on my Facebook feed over the weekend, and it's talking about, I think they've got four stores, Amazon stores in the US now, where they're sort of promising no queuing or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I only saw the beginning of the video, but and they're, they're going to have one in London, which seems like when you go in, you register for something called Amazon Go, that's what the store's called, yeah. you go in, and you, it's a bit like a turnstile as you go in. You kind of scan your phone, so your your, your Amazon ID, yeah. right? And you go in, and I think how that works is you then just walk out, and it will it will then 
somehow know and charge you on your Amazon account as you walk out. I think oh, that's probably what they're right. doing. I only saw like the brief snippets, but there's no queue, there's no checkout, nothing. You literally, I think you just grab and go. I've, I've literally, I, I've now decided to only use Amazon to get stuff I need the next day. Other than that, I'm, I'm desperate to use and support local traders. Yeah. Uh, suppose, um, Amazon, they're not, they're not English, not British. Yeah, it's they don't pay taxes here. It's a bit frightening, really. The longer-term implications are frightening. Anyway, let's yeah. get back onto the market. So, what yeah. have we got this coming week? We've got a few bits here. I've just brought up the calendar. Um, so, we'll look, Jeremy. Obviously, yeah. uh, ECB uh, president Lagarde. Yeah. Pro probably best. Let's get rid of the um, medium impact one, because it looks far too busy. Yeah. Um, first um, week of the new month, or the first Friday of the new month, heralds what we refer to in the industry as non-farm payroll. Um, to you and me, uh, Joe Public, that means employment or unemployment data. Uh, the reason why they call it non-farm in the United States is that they have a, quite a big farming sector and it's very seasonal. So you'll get big sort of changes in uh, employment because of the seasonal factors. Uh, and so what they do is they remove it. So it's not included at all. So uh, to you and me and everyone else, this is employment data. The reason why the market's interested in employment data in the United States is that their central bank, unlike our central bank, the Bank of England, the Federal Reserve of the United States has two mandates. One, to manage to maintain price stability, i.e. control inflation. Mm. But the other one is to foster full employment. And so if employment picks up, it often means that the Fed will be cutting rates or doing something to help stimulate the economy. Yeah. Unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but at the moment, we've got un an unemployment rate at 3.6%. And I remember seeing an article over the weekend saying, how low can unemployment go in the States? Yeah. But you've got to think, there's got to be a natural sort of unemployment rate as people look for jobs or new people enter the new... The, the well, some people market. are just unemployable, arguably. And, but, but this is like multi, multi-decade lows. So you've not seen low unemployment like this since the 60s. Yeah. yeah, it's extraordinary. Um, yeah. But anyway, um, so anyway, the, what, what we're looking at here, we've already we're already into uh, Monday, as we all know. Uh, Christine Lagarde, the new president of the European Central Bank, is testifying in Brussels. Uh, that doesn't happen until this afternoon. Um, we have something called uh, manufacturing uh, PMI out in the states. That stands for the Institute of Supply Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index. You can see why they actually shortened it to ISM Manufacturing doesn't PMI. Doesn't roll off the tongue, does but, it? Actually, you're right. It definitely doesn't roll off the tongue, but it's a measure of manufacturing activity in the United States. And we have a similar um, gauges in the UK and in Europe. And it's a very useful bit of information. Anything above 50, the um, sector is expanding. Anything below 50, uh, the sector is contracting. Uh, so you'll note that um, it's an improvement in the number from last month, but it's still contracting. Yeah. Uh, this is one of the reasons why the Federal Reserve has cut interest rates uh, three times in the last three meetings. Interesting, uh, actually, if you look at the countdown for the FMC, it's not until December next year that the odds of a cut are bigger than the odds of where they are at the moment. Yeah. So uh, we're really not expecting a great deal, no. certainly not certainly not this month. No, this, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, a chap called Jay Powell, or Jerome Powell, he basically said to the market last time they met, or either they released the minutes, he said, listen, we cut rates three times, the effect of the rate cuts takes at least four to six months to percolate through into the wider economy. There's no way we're going to be cutting it again. So, so basically, that's why we're on hold. It's possible that you could have next move might be up again. 
yeah. Well, anyway, I mean, they're certainly suggesting if you go through it, the more likely next move is down. But yeah. of course, who knows? I mean, by the time we get to July, on, yeah, I mean, anything could happen by then, of course. I mean, when growth picks up again, all of that will start to swing around again. It's only here, like 38.2% against 37, that's actually talking about a cut. I'd almost say that that's pretty much floating. You, you, there's nothing decisive there at all. And, it, and it's if, if it does the trick, what it's supposed to do, then. Um, but, you know, they could well actually turn out to put everything on hold and then the, the bias may actually be up again. Yeah. Um, we've also got um, a couple of central banks, Jerry, haven't we? So we've got Aussies tonight, yeah. uh, Royal Bank of Australia. Uh, that's an important one because you've got Australian dollar positions uh, open tonight. That's 3.30 a.m. UK time. Uh, so that's obviously, um, you know, sort of daytime uh, in Australia. Um, mm. Uh, tomorrow um, but that's overnight so any positions we've got tonight uh, in Australian dollar you need to be a little bit careful of that one as well as Bank of Canada Canada Canada, Canada <laughs> uh, as well uh, so keep an eye out for that as well so that's Wednesday afternoon 3 p.m. Wednesday Canada to my mind uh, they are uh, pretty awful at um, uh, their sort of forecast, their, their data tends to come way away from uh, forecasts anecdotally, I would say. So often you get some quite big moves after Canadian data. Um, it's quite a sobering thought when um, you consider who's in charge of our monetary policy committee, but there you go. I mean, um, the, the, both these economies are referred to sort of resource uh, currencies or resource economies, so they very much have been affected by the US-China trade war. Uh, so as China slowed down, it's really affected these two, and obviously uh, New Zealand, although they're not yeah. included in this. So, but they'll not be changing their rates at all. We're uh, real low rates in uh, Australia and Canada at the moment, uh, yeah. and so we don't expect anything. But you're right to say this happens um, mon uh, you know, early tomorrow morning. So when we get in at I don't know, half seven. Uh, and you look at the screens, you, you might see a bit of a move. It, and it's nothing to do with them changing rates because they're not going to be doing that. It'd be to do with the statement, what yeah. they say. Yeah, so, exactly. So obviously non-farm payroll then on Friday, the precursor of that ADP, um, which is a bit like, you know, one of their payroll companies uh, posting the data there. Um, they're suggesting 140,000 new jobs. And of course, you know, these are important um, numbers here, particularly given Jerry, what Jerry was saying about, you know, the impact it has and how the FOMC would then gauge employment in terms of their interest rate policy changes. So anything to do with this one here, the ADP, and then uh, Friday's number at 1.30 UK time is big, big numbers there. So there's going to be likely some movement there. So just be aware of your open positions ahead of that one, um, just to make sure that you're not exposed um, yeah. over the top, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it used to be more importantly than it actually is now, because it's a bit volatile. This is a, a ADP is a private payroll company. So they do the payroll uh, run for a lot of private companies. So they have an idea about how many people have been employed or, or been not yeah. taken on or whatever. Um, but it, so it's a little bit volatile. I'm surprised it's still got this sort of uh, um, high impact um, uh, designation here. But anyway, so, so ADP uh, 1.15 on uh, Wednesday. Just remember, uh, at all these sort of important numbers during the month, I'd say employment data, along with an interest rate decision, are probably the most important number. So it is an important yeah. week, and it's uh, I wish to waste too much or spend too much time on this uh, area, but it, it, it's it's can't be under 
uh, underemphasized as it were. Uh, I, think, I think the way to really play this is if you've got, you know, Australian dollar positions, you just need to be a bit careful on them tonight, basically, is that sort of thing. You don't have to be closing everything off usually because some of these could be that sort of the ripple effect that there might be an impact, but it will be watered down depending on the sort of markets you might well be trading. But to sort of intraday trading as you get to 1.30 on Friday, you need to be a bit careful about those positions. You probably don't want to be in positions coming into 1.30 unless you're making a particular play over the day but the problem with that is you get a big spiky moves sometimes and that can lead to something called split slippage and that can be uh, a bit unpleasant from time to time so we just costly. yeah it's got to be a bit mindful uh, of uh, of all of that really and remember you know what we're here to do is trade we're not here to gamble uh, really uh, so the best thing is just to be a little bit aware of when these particular banana skins could be around and the main one really this week is this one they're talking banana skins. I forgot to mention we've also got um, NATO uh, meeting in London on Tuesday, and it doesn't sound like it's a, a sort of market-moving event. There's 29 members of NATO. They're all meeting in London, uh, but Trump's coming over, mm. and you just think, oh my God, what can go wrong if Trump's here? Mm. Well, just give um, him a microphone. He'll find well, something. Yeah, it, it, anything. Uh, you know, we talk about what what can hit the markets in the next month or two. Because this time last year, remember the markets absolutely slumped. And you just think, hmm, if, it, if it's going to involve Trump, I'm not sure how. It will, <laughs> yeah, it, it will involve yeah. Trump. Uh, and you know, there we go. So politicians are going to be very careful on uh, on Tuesday with the election looming, uh, uh, saying or getting too close to anyone called Trump, really. Yeah. Exactly. Um, right. So um, a couple of bits I wanted to go through. Now, last week uh, in the uh, post event survey um, for attending live, uh, one chap, I can't remember his name now, he asked if we could define a couple of things. Um, he said such as, but he, he, itemed, he itemized three things, dividends, what a bull market is and what a bear market is. I'll keep it really brief uh, and then we'll move on to what, really what I want to talk about in a second. So what's a dividend? A dividend is a share of profits, a share of income that is paid out by companies. Uh, it's a bit like their form of interest payment, if you like, that you might get on your bank deposit. So effectively a way of getting, getting an income that's paid out of the profits uh, that are generated by a particular company and they'll uh, pay dividends. Some companies don't pay any, they might be called what's called a growth stock. Uh, sometimes they'll pay a dividend out quarterly, half yearly, once a year, sometimes, sometimes they're special dividends, but it's a way of uh, pushing cash profits uh, to shareholders. Uh, that's basically it. Um, a bull market is really a continued period of positive movement for a particular market. So you could say, or you certainly would say, that the US stock market is in a bull market right now as it continues to move to new all-time highs. Uh, a bear market is a sustained period of downward pricing pressure, effectively uh, going down for a period of time. That, that There's no def definition of how long, is it three months, is it six months, is it one week? Uh, I think it's a bit of a subjective thing, but a bear market is generally Generally, a period of general downward movement and a bull market general upward movement. Pretty straightforward, uh, really. I say straightforward. I've been doing this since 2002, so it's straightforward to me. But of course, if you're brand new to this, it's not at all, is it? Um, and actually, that kind of brings me on to, uh, I suppose, the um, the main thing I wanted to talk about, which is based on a poll that I did last week. Now, I'm going to do this uh, again today. So for so being online, a, a poll's going to come on. If you're on GoToWebinar, that is, it'll pop up. Um, so the simple question I 
pushed out last week and that something popped up on your screen. So click on the one that's most relevant to you. What is preventing you from getting started or being profitable with your trading? Please check the most appropriate answer on your screen. I'm not confident uh, that I'm entering uh, the trades uh, or markets at the right time. I'm fearful. I'm getting nervous, which impedes my um, uh, my decision making. I don't think I understand enough to be profitable. It seems rather complicated uh, and a lack of time. If you can just get onto the questions box, not on the questions box, sorry. If you just get on the screen there and just check the most relevant one for you. I think you can click more than one actually. So if you wouldn't mind doing that, just make sure that the response holds up with last week. And then I'll get into that. How funny, actually you're, you're answering a little bit differently than last week there. Um, the, mo the most common answer last week, by the way, was I don't think I understand enough uh, to be profitable. 55% of attendees last week uh, said I don't think I understand enough to be profitable. So I'm going to close that poll off now. Thank you very much for uh, posting that. And let's go through a bit about that because, you know, what is enough? What is understanding enough? Um, so does this translate to knowing every single pattern possible, candlestick patterns, chart patterns? Do you have to know absolutely everything about the markets to be profitable? Or is it possible to be profitable from just a foundation of knowledge, base knowledge and so on? You know, my opinion on this is that simple rules are key when it comes to trading. Um, a foundation of rules, if you like, from which you can build. And in order to have rules for your trading, you effectively have got two basic choices. Number one is you go out there, learn and you create those rules for yourself. So you go out there and build and create your own strategy, which a lot of people do or at least attempt to do. Uh, alternatively, you could buy or you could follow somebody else's strategy. And that's also a fairly common path uh, for traders. The odd thing that I tend to find is certainly initially anyway, a lot of people go for option number one, which is to try and create their own strategies. So, Joey, what do you think might be the problem with option number one? Well, trying to create your own strategy. Well, two, two problems, actually. Firstly, it's going to take quite a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. And also, it's going to cost you a lot of money. Could uh, well do, couldn't it? Yeah. Well, it's a lot. A lot it, 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 you, you have little knowledge. You think you know, you think you've got an edge, and then you gradually find that you don't have an edge by just being Jerry Miller or Adrian Boothy. What you need to do is have something that regulates what you do, and rules are the most important thing. Yeah. Uh, we, as traders, you can't exist without them. You can't attempt, well, you can work it, you can try, um, I guess I could use an analogy. Maybe, maybe you could paint your own house if you really wished. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? You're better employed doing what you're good at doing, and then get someone else to paint your house. Or at least show you how to do it first. Well, well exactly, that's what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, I, th I think one of the things that I, I've kind of seen is that trading is, is a bit of a zero-sum game. And what I mean by that is uh, that if you're going to make money, uh, it needs to come from somewhere else. It's not, you know, when you talk about trading, it's not wealth creation here, like sort of investing or growth over time. Short-term trading is really just about, if you're going to make money, it's got to come from somewhere. It doesn't grow on trees. So in order to make money, you take it from somebody else. And if you think about it, otherwise, where do your profits actually come from? It's like wealth transfer, really, isn't it? Yeah, well, it is in a way, absolutely. Uh, so basically, in order to be profitable over the long term, you need to be better prepared, better skilled, and I guess more disciplined than the average trader. I guess if you treat it like 
like an amateur, then you're more likely to get amateur results. Uh, and that's really a big problem for a lot of traders there. So, yeah. So is it possible to go out there and create your own set of successful trading rules? Like Jerry said, for most people, it actually isn't really that possible. Most people are getting into trading with no sort of financial training. Uh, maybe they don't have a degree in whatever. Maybe they haven't invested uh, in trading education uh, and they probably haven't had the, the time to learn the skills properly either. Uh, many traders treat trading a bit like placing a bet on a football match, which only takes a few seconds thought uh, as the outcome. But trading is a little bit different. You know, you don't really want to be trading just for a simple bit of fun because that's not really going to lead to the best results. Because ultimately, if you think about trading being a zero sum game, you are competing with other traders. And that's basically what that is. If you're going to build your own strategy, you're competing against people who maybe have a PhD in maths, maybe who have spent years and years and years defining you know, their own strategy. Can, a, uh, can we really compete against those guys and be profitable over time? Maybe with 10,000 hours of study, we talk about that, um, but it's not really... It's not really that easy or not that likely, is it? And I think that's, for, for in my experience, uh, that's the biggest problem. You know, can we invest that time? Do you want to invest 10,000 hours in it? Probably not. And think what else you could be doing. It's that opportunity cost argument, a little bit like Jerry was saying yeah. earlier with the, 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 the painter. What else could you be doing? Well, you could be making moment money. You could be doing something that's perhaps a little bit more enjoyable. That doesn't mean, though, you can't be a, a profitable trader. What it means is that you could do pretty much what we do in most other things in our lives is follow somebody else. Yeah, allocate your resources. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, you know, I, I'm a lot older than you, Asian. I've been around a long time and I've seen so many people think that they're good at trading and that their results just prove that they're not. And, and, and they're gradually learning the process and they're gradually working out the rules, but it's cost them tens, I'm talking about 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 grand. Yeah. And that's not good enough. You know, you're in the business to make money. And, and you know, we spent our lives, you know, perfecting what we do. And that's, 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 it's taken a long time to get to where we've got. And that's really what people are buying into, I suppose, when they follow, you know. Companies like Trendsignal, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, you know, you've got a choice. You either try and do it yourself, and that's where you probably do need a lot of knowledge. You need a lot of knowledge, a lot of information to be able to craft uh, your own strategy. But do you need to know everything about the markets if someone else has done a lot of the hard work? That could be a friend you know down the road. It could be your brother. It could be, um, it could be a, a training company. It doesn't really matter as long as you're able to identify something that can really help you. And I think that's where education uh, really plays a big uh, part there, being able to you know, invest in your skills, invest in your tool set. And it makes sense to do so. In fact, if you think about really everything else that we do in life, if we're going to be good at something, we tend to learn from other people, don't we? So if you're going to learn to, you know, when you first learn to tie your shoelaces, you probably learn off your mum or dad, brushing your teeth, the same thing, driving a car, playing golf. We've learned these generally from other people, whether it's our parents, whether we pay for an instructor and all of them. Pretty much everything we do has a foundation of a simple set of rules. OK, and what I mean by that is, um, yeah, sure, you might start off with a set of rules. You may tweak the way you do things over time to suit your needs, your personality, a bit like driving, Jerry. So when you first learned to drive, you learned from a driving instructor, right? Of course you did. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so uh, how many accidents have you caused in the past 10 years, Jerry? N none? <laughs> I did say none to you, and I just remembered I might have caused one. <laughs> <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is we can, all, we can all learn a set of rules that can give us great results. Mirror signal manoeuvre, uh, the way in which you brush your teeth, simple sets of rules that can help give us great results. Trading is exactly the same. You don't have to be Lewis Hamilton to be a great driver. Just by following a simple set of rules in the way in which we drive can get us great results. You don't have to be Warren Buffett to be a successful trader or an investor. What you need is the rules that help you to get started and that solid base. How can you get those rules? Well, look, there's a number of ways you can do it. You can go out and learn, follow, shadow other people that you already know that trade. One way, of course, is that if you want to, you can attend a live event that we're running this week on our website. You go to trend-signal.com and we'll actually teach you three simple rules for identifying turning points in the markets. That's one great way of starting to form that solid foundation. And of course, for a lot of traders, they start off with that solid foundation and they build onto it from there. They add extra things in to help them become a bigger and better trader. So, of course, once you've got those basic rules, Okay, the, the next thing is discipline and discipline, the ability to follow those rules, in my experience, is the biggest problem for so many traders. And it's weird, actually, because when it comes to, say, driving, you always follow your basic rules. What's one of your basic rules is you don't run a red light. Right. Then you don't do that because you know that you're going to have a, an accident or you're more likely to have an accident. You might run a few and that might get you made to be a little bit quicker. But eventually, you know that someone's going to smash into you and you have a big problem and so on. Same thing with trading. You, if you have a trading plan, if you go out there, you build a trading plan. You consider what markets you want to trade, what time frames you want to trade them on, when you want to trade in the day. What are your rules of entry? What are your rules of exit? What's your trade sizing criteria, i.e. how are you going to know what stake per point to do? I know this all sounds incredibly dull, but what I encourage you to do is go out there and formalize a trading plan. Make it as rules-based as possible so that you have that foundation. If you don't have that foundation, you have no plan to stick to. And if you can't stick to anything, then really you can have chaos uh, with your trading accounts. Uh, okay, um, guys, I know we're running fairly short on yeah. time uh, now, really. But um, um, so, what are the what are the three things that any traders should do? Well, Jerry, you can give us the first one if you like. Well, get a set of rules that you uh, want to follow that uh, are proven and that you can believe in. I think that's important. Secondly, write them down. Formulate a trading plan. Write them all down, including, like I said, the number of markets you want to trade, which they are, the time frames, maybe certain events you don't want to trade. Or maybe you don't want to trade over non-farm payroll. Maybe you don't want to trade over interest rates. Get it down on your piece of paper there. And then finally, evaluate your trades. Look at the trades that you are placing after the event. Have you followed your trading plan or you're out there doing something entirely different? If you're not following the plan, effectively you are gambling gamblers don't make that's a, that's a very good point actually we talk about following uh set of rules writing them down but actually when some people come to it they don't actually follow the rules that they've set themselves no a lot I mean, we, we, we we're very disciplined with our rules but there are people who just don't quite follow them and the problem is you you, you can't go 80 in a 70 mile an hour zone 
you know, it's breaking the rules. You know? Well, you can't do it and expect the same results, that's for sure. You know, yeah. the results are going to be different and you could end up having a, yeah, a bit of a car crash. Well, the trouble is, you, you break the rules once, you break them again, then you break them again. All of a sudden, you're not following a set of rules anymore. Yeah. You're making it up as you go along. Yeah. And that's, that. so evaluation, just checking, reviewing what you've done is absolutely key. Yeah. And that's something that we impress on our um, in our coaching as well. We go through the trades with individual traders just to make they're sure they're doing, they're following those base rules. And then, of course, yeah, sure, you know, the style in which you trade might differ over time. You might start to run certain trades a bit longer because of longer term trends and so on. But that's where a bit of knowledge, a bit of understanding builds in. But I think really from my experience, it's having that base understanding that you can then build from uh, that really helps. Guys, uh, we're pretty much at the end of uh, today's event. You know, what I'm going to do is just very quickly just provide you with a link. It's on screen now. If you would like to attend one of our webinars and you'd like to learn the three uh, rules for identifying turning points in the market or high, high probability turning points in the market, this is what you need to do. So if you go to bit.ly, so bit.ly slash trend uh, dash signal dash webinar. It's actually really hard to say. What's wrong yeah. Bit.ly uh, slash trend hyphen signal hyphen webinar. You can see it on screen there as well. Or alternatively, just go to trend hyphen signal dot com and you should see somewhere on that web page there the ability to register for a live event. And what we're going to do is go into effectively the answer to that question, the ability to in that session teach you enough that you need to be profitable from which you can then build your skills, your learning, and hopefully some very positive trading results. So guys, that's it for me. We're going to be back next week. And we've got a lot more to talk about. It may end up being some sort of election special. Who knows, uh, really? Maybe there won't be a lot to talk about. I don't know. Yeah, um, but um, yeah. I mean, in that regard. Yeah. So uh, guys, thanks so much for attending. Um, and uh, all the best and have a great okay. week's trading. Thank you.